Matthew chapter 19. Tonight we are going to talk about the rich young man, but our God statement for this evening is Jesus is better. Everyone say Jesus is better. I like this God statement a lot. Um, So if you have your Bibles, I want you to follow along with me. We're going to be in chapter 19, starting in verse 16, going through 26. This is the word of the Lord. It says this, and behold, a man came up to Jesus saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And the young man said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to Jesus, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? If you have your own physical Bible, I want you to underline those last two statements. All these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you. We love you. Can't get over us singing that simple, simple melody. Oh, 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 you're beautiful. God, I pray that you would make those words true and real for us here this evening. You're beautiful. Make it so. Father, I pray that this evening wouldn't be about our ability to willpower something into existence. But this evening would be about you revealing something to us and giving us the ability to receive it. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and that you would speak. We need you to open our eyes. We need you to open our ears. We need you to open our minds. We need you to convince us of who you are, that you are, in fact, better. We ask that question, or we make that statement that you are better, the the question that must be asked is, then what? And I pray by the end of tonight, every person in this room would be able to say you're better than everything else 
So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you speak to us? I pray that you would guard me from error here this evening. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And if you can agree with that this evening, can you say amen? Amen. What we have here is, as Matthew would say, a rich young man. If you go to the two other synoptic gospels, Luke and Mark, they identify him as a rich young ruler. But the couple things we know about this guy is that he's young, he's rich, he's moral, and he's eager for eternal life. He's young, he's rich, he's moral, and he's eager for eternal life. Those things, for the most part, define the majority of the American church right now. People who are rich, wanting to live moral lives, and have a longing for eternal life. So I believe that this is a text that we have in all three of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And especially when there's something in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we should pay special attention to it. What is being said right here? And this young man, he comes to Jesus eagerly and he says, teacher, what good deed must I do to, to gain eternal life? Like, like what do I got to do to kind of put the seal on this thing, to make sure that like I have it all together. I mean, life is good right now. I'm successful. I have money. I have property. I have everything that I need. I follow the law. Like what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I believe there's kind of two things that this young man is getting after by asking this question to Jesus. If we go back to verse 17 here, let's put verse 17 he said, Jesus responds to him and he says, why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter this life, if you want eternal life, keep the commandments. And the young man goes, well, which ones? Which ones are you talking about? I know that there are, are 10 commandments that we have in the law of Moses. And Jesus just starts kind of throwing out some of the highlighted ones in the, in the 10 commandments. He says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And, and you can sum up all the 10 commandments in love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man responds with a flex right here. He goes, bruh, I've kept all these. And I think this is an important moment for us to keep track of. Like, have you ever had a moment where like you have confidence in something, but then it like falls short. You realize that you, you shouldn't have put as much confidence in it as you should have. As I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this, the only thing that came to mind was this movie that's like absolutely awesome, but everybody would say it's not awesome. And most people would say they haven't seen it when maybe you have seen it. This movie, Lion King one and a half. Has anybody seen this movie? I knew I could count on this group. Okay, right, so, so if, if, if you've seen Lion King 1, you know, it's, it's like this epic story of like Simba, like entering into like who he was always created to be and remembering Mufasa and can't wait to be king, all those good things. But Lion King 1 and a half, you have like the storyline of Timon and Pumbaa. But really it's kind of like the storyline of Timon, right? And so like we begin with like, like him, like with, with all of like his other, I, I think they're called meerkats. Like that's like the, 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 
thing that he is, right? And, you know, they're doing like the digatana, dig, digatana. Yeah, thank you, pray. Digatana, dig, digatana, digatana. Stop. What was that? Ch, ch. Before the hyenas. Thank you, pray. Yes, pray was with me, right? And so what ends up happening, though, is Timon realizes he doesn't fit in. Like, like he doesn't want this life of a meerkat. And so he gets assigned like sentry duty where he's supposed to like look out for the hyenas. Then he has this like whole moment of like introspection as the hyenas creep up and they nearly kill the leader. And so Timon's like, okay, I gotta go off on my own. And then he has this moment with like the most profound, prophetic, like Disney character of all time, Rafiki, right? And he's like having this moment of like, like what do I do? What am I going to do with my life? Which way should I go? And Rafiki kind of gives that, well, that depends on what you seek. And, and Timon's like, I just need to find a place. I need to, I need to find a akuna matata, you know, like a place of no words. And Rafiki goes, well, in order to do that, you must look beyond what you see. Thank you, Victor. Beyond what you see. And so Timon takes this very literally. And I love this because then we have a, a series of moments in this movie where he's going, beyond what I see. And it's like zooming right and zooming left. It's like beyond what I see. And he goes, ah, it's the big pointy rock. That's where I go. That's where Akuna Matata is going to be. And so he begins to venture on to, to Pride Rock. And right as he's about to get to Pride Rock, he runs into like all these other animals. And he's like, my goodness, that loudmouth monkey told everybody the same thing. And so he's like, okay, I must look beyond the big pointy rock. And so he looks beyond the big pointy rock and he finds this little oasis and he goes, ah, that's my Akuna Matata. And so he, he places his confidence in this little oasis and he goes and he stays in this little oasis and he falls asleep. And next thing you know, he wakes up in the morning to like all this stomping and dancing and all this stuff of, of, of Simba, you know, crying out his heart for what he wants in his future. And so then he goes, okay, this can't be Akuna Matata. So I'm gonna look again beyond what I see. If you haven't seen Lion King one and a half at this point, I'm spoiling the entire movie. Deal with it. Okay, then he goes to an elephant graveyard and he goes, yeah, this is kind of like a bit of a fixer-upper, but like we can make this work. And then all of a sudden you have like Mufasa tearing apart these hyenas and he's like, carnivores. So then he moves on from there and he goes to like live in this sauna place. He goes, yeah, like this place should work. And then all of a sudden you have like Scar singing with hyenas. And they're like, I don't want to die. So they go beyond from there and they go into this warm canyon. They're like, yeah, this could be our Akuna Matata. And then all of a sudden they're going to get trampled by a pack of wildebeest. The point that I am making here <laughs> is that Oftentimes we place our confidence in something only to find that it wasn't a great place to put our confidence in. Are you with me? And what Jesus is doing with the young man right here is this man is trying to, to flex and say, look, I have, he's like, honor your father and mother. Oh, I have done that. I placed my confidence there, but yet I'm still lacking something. And he goes, okay, well, don't, don't commit adultery. And he's like, ah, I have done that. But yet, this, th there's something still lacking in here. He's like, well, honor your father and your mother and, and do not murder and, and do not steal. And he's like, yeah, done that, done that, done that. What else am I missing here? Like, I, I, is, is that all I have to do to hit eternal life? And then he comes to this place where he goes, okay, look, I, I know that like I've kept these commandments. However, something yet is still not, Satisfying, And this is where he follows up the, I have kept all of these with this second statement. 
at the end of this verse. Can we put the next slide up there, Joey? Where he says, what do I still lack? I want you to pay attention here. If you've been with me since the beginning of this Matthew series, I want you to see a theme. He's like, look, I've placed like my hope in like trying to keep the law of Moses, but here's the thing, teacher, good teacher. I've done everything right, and yet I still have a need. I still have a void in my soul. There's a, there's a desire that has not been satiated yet. I haven't been satisfied yet. Like, I'm doing everything right and by the book. I haven't murdered anybody. I'm staying faithful to my wife. Like, I, I'm, 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 I'm not stealing. I'm, I'm, I'm loving my neighbor as myself. Like, I'm, I'm doing all the things right. And yet, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And there's a pivot here in the passage where Jesus goes, okay, let's put up the next slide there, Joey. It says, and Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, like if you really, if you really want to like hit the standard, if you want to not lack anything, and this is where this is really interesting because he's, what, what still do I lack? Like what am I lacking? Like what, what am I still missing? Three times again that this story has gone over in the gospels and this is the way that Luke records Jesus' response he says, when Jesus heard this in Luke 18, 22, Jesus said to him, one thing you still lack. Now, this is kind of a satisfying moment. I mean, it's like most of the time, it's like we kind of have these like confusion moments where like Jesus answers with a parable and he, he maybe answers like with this riddle. And it's like, it's kind of like indirect. But Jesus is going, if you want to be perfect, let me tell you the one thing you still lack. The rest of verse 21 he says go sell what you possess give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me now this is interesting Jesus goes one thing you lack and then he tells him three things he goes look you want to be perfect you want the void in your soul to be satisfied you want that thing that you're longing for? Let me tell you what you need to do. Go and get rid of what is most precious to you. Get rid of, give away the most valuable thing in your life, but it doesn't stop there. He says, I want you to relinquish. I want you to give up the most valuable thing in your life. Give it to the poor. Give it to a place where it's gonna be helpful and then what you value most will be where? It'll be in heaven. And then what? Jesus says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. He gives him the answer. It's no mystery. He says, here's the one thing you lack. If you want to be perfect, I want you to give away Give away what is most precious to you, what is most valuable, and give it away to a place that's gonna be helpful, not hurtful, and then what you value most will be in heaven. And come follow me. And this is one of the saddest texts in all the Bible. We turn right here. 
And he goes, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Friends, have you ever been in a place in your life where you had to make a costly choice? Let me say it like this. Have you ever had a moment in your life where God gave you a gift that you love and then he asked you to place that gift on the altar? Something you cherish, something you prize, something that you care for, and he gives it to you, and it's a gift from him, something for you to enjoy, and he looks at you and says, I want you to give it back to me. If you read scripture, we actually know that this is what the Bible is filled with, right? I mean, you go all the way back to the beginning. I mean, Cain and Abel, the first murder that we witness in the history of humankind. You have two brothers, both of them, one a hunter, one who tills the ground, and yet the Lord asks. He says, look, I want you to take what I have given you, the game that you have, that you have hunted, and, and the, the produce from the ground, and I want you to take the best of it, and I want you to give it back to me. I want you to take what I have given you and give it back to me. I mean, think of Abraham, right? I mean, Abraham, he, he, he looks at Abraham and he says, look, I know your home and your place, like your family, like a place you've put roots down. I know that like, that's special to you and it's a gift to you, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to give it all up and I want you to go to a land that I'm not gonna show you yet. Then Jesus takes it a step further with Abraham and he goes, actually, I'm gonna make you a promise to give you a son. You and your wife a promise, even though you're barren, I'm gonna make a promise to give you a son. And Abraham and his wife, they wait, they wait, they wait. And finally, finally God fulfills his promise and they have a baby boy named Isaac. And you know what God asks Abraham to do? He says, okay. You see this gift I've given you, the gift you've waited for, a gift you've wanted. I want you to take your son up to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to give him back to me. Can you imagine the angst, the wrestle, the toil in Abraham? I mean, Wait a minute, God, you, you're asking me to like, like pay a price here. You're asking me to give up what is most precious. I mean, think about Esther. Esther, I mean, we, we have the whole nation of Israel on the chopping block, on the chopping block. And it, it, it gets put on this woman in scripture to go, okay, you have two choices. Either watch your people die Watch your nation be absolutely like genocided out or put your life on the line and go into the inner courts of the king and plead with your husband. Have you ever had a moment in your life where the Lord asks you to give something back to him that he's given you? Don't miss this, brothers and sisters. This is what's taking place in this 
moment. We have a man who has wealth. He's taken care of. He doesn't have to worry about how he's gonna pay his mortgage. He doesn't have to worry about how he's gonna put food on the table. He's, he's living the life. I mean, it's all good. And he's living a moral life. I mean, like he's, he's taking care of business. He's, he's staying faithful. He's, he's not murdering. Like he's, 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 he's loving his neighbor as himself. Like, like he's, 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 he's doing great. And he's enjoying the gift that God gave him because he didn't produce that wealth. Everything that we have is a gift from the Lord. And what Jesus is doing in this moment is he, he takes a strike at what's most precious to this man. And he says, you want eternal life? You lack one thing. And here's the one thing that you lack. Me being your ultimate treasure. You want to make it in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus is looking at him and he's going, nothing can be more precious to you than me. That's what you need to inherit eternal life. And instead of there being this salvation moment for this young man of that's all it takes, I mean, you're telling me eternity, eternity filled with joy, no sorrow, no pain, no tears, like eternity of satisfaction, forevermore delighting in my creator, being with my God, enjoying the goodness of my God for all time. That's all I have to do is just give up my possessions. That's not his response. He walks away and goes, ah, but, but I love what I have. I, I love what I have. And here's the thing. Jesus knows that we have an intricate relationship with our money and our stuff. We like our stuff, don't we? We like our money, don't we? Why? Because it's one of those gifts God gives us that makes us feel significant. It's one of those gifts that God gives that makes us feel like we're in control. It's one of those gifts that God gives that makes us feel like we actually have value, that we have worth, that we have some form of, of like sovereignty in our lives. And it just makes us feel better. It makes us feel like we're better human beings even though it's not true, right? Just a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in my ninth grade small group on Sunday morning with, with Mr. Jacob and we looked at the guys as an icebreaker question. We said, all right, fellas, you have $10,000 that you have to spend in a day. What would you do with it? And you know what was so pitiful and sad? Like nine out of the 11 of them said they'd buy shoes. <laughs> shoes. I was like, are you... Are you kidding me? And they're like, oh, you can, you can, these Jordans, well, they, they can like appreciate in value and you could resell them. And I'm like, shoes. You had $10,000 for a day and there was like two in the group that said they would buy a car. I was like, good for you too. <laughs> shoes. I mean, not that I wouldn't like mind buying several pairs of white vans. 
That's my guy, Jacob, right? But here's the thing, here's the thing. When, you, we, when we buy new things, right, we feel good about ourselves. When you get a new car, you just feel nice. All of you are like, I don't know what that feels like. Some of you do, because mommy and daddy hooked you up. And I hear the same that, good for you, good for you. But when you get something nice, and you, you, you walk a little taller, you look a little fresher, you smell a little nicer, we like our stuff. Hear me, don't, don't get me wrong, there's, there's nothing wrong with enjoying the things that God has given us to enjoy. What he's getting at here is he's going, but don't let that be what you look to to satisfy your soul. This is why in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus is going, look, enjoy the gifts that I have given you. By no means feel like you need to avoid the good things that I'm giving you, but here's what you do have to avoid. Those things becoming more valuable and more precious to you than me. Jesus is better. He's so much better. And because Jesus knows that we have an intricate relationship with our things, this is why he gives this response at the end of this text to his disciples. He looks at his followers, starting in verse 23, and he says to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples hear this and they're like, oh my goodness, time out, Jesus. I mean, we just had like a rich guy, a young guy show up before us. Like this would be an ideal scenario to have as someone who like supports the ministry. And this guy is like keeping the commandments. He's not like a greedy rich person. He's like, he's like a person who's eager to, to help people, who wants eternal life. He's, he's moral. And what you're telling us is that it's difficult for a guy like him, a, a moral guy, a guy who wants, a guy who's eager for eternal life to make it into heaven? Who then can be saved? You're meaning to tell us that we, how, how can we as a people see what we value most as less than our relationship with you? And Jesus looks at them and he says, with man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. This is the best way that I feel I can I can illustrate this because I think this is how we treat Christianity sometimes. My wife and I, we're about to make the pivot this June into eight years of marriage. And I'm so excited to celebrate that with her. And every time we get like to this time of the year, I start to remember what it was like as we like approach that, that season of like prepping for the wedding and like we're anticipating and we're gearing up for like this beautiful moment. And now as a pastor, I've got to sit on the other side of weddings where I, I get to stand there with, with the groom and the bride and we're sitting there before the congregation of witnesses and family and friends and we're watching like covenant be made. And you know how pathetic like weddings would be if you get to the moment of the vows, right? Where you're about to like commit to one another, to cherish one another. 
to fight for one another, to lay your lives down, to love in sickness and in health. And like how pathetic it would be if, if the groom was standing right there and as he's giving his vows, he says something like this. Bay, you're awesome. And I love you. And like, I'm stoked that we're getting married. Like, this is really cool. But here's the thing. There's this other girl sitting on the front row over here that I actually love more than you. And I actually like what she has to offer me more. But I know this is the right thing to do. Ladies, if a guy ever does that, like, whoosh, whoosh, right? Like, like how, how cheap and pathetic would a wedding feel if that's what took place? Hear me. Oftentimes, though, this is what we do with our relationship with God. We say, Lord, you're awesome. And I know you died for me and I know you care for me, and I know you've paid it all for me, but there's this other thing that I love just a little bit more than you. But I know that this is the right thing to do. And so even though I love like this thing more, I'll choose to be in a relationship with you. And this is how we walk with Jesus. And that shapes the way we pray. We should, we'll, we'll sit there and pray like, Lord, help me choose you over this thing that I love more than you. Help me, help me, help me choose to do what's right even though like this is what I want to do and this is my heart's desire. But, but help me just to choose you because I know this is right. I don't want to burn and I don't want to come across immoral and I, I, like, I want to follow your commandments. And, and so, so just help me choose you even though I love this more. Hear me. That is not the gospel. What Jesus is coming to tell you and the good news that he's wanting to bring you is, look, I don't want you to have to pray that prayer. I don't want you to have to, to feel like you have to try to love me more than you love something else more genuinely. What he's saying is, I wanna show you and I wanna make it real to you that I'm actually better than what that is. He wants to open your eyes to see something better than what you think is better. He wants to make it not just a good idea, but a reality that he is better than whatever it is you have in your life. And he's looking at this young man going, look, you want eternal life? Let me show you what's better than what you feel like is the best in your life. I'll show you something better than wealth. I'll show you something better than your great possessions. I'll show you something better than your relationships. I'll show you something better than your pleasures. It's called relationship with me. Relationship with me. So this is, 
This is what God wants to do. He goes, no, 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 I don't want you to pray that you would simply just choose me over something that you love more than me. He's like, pray that you'll actually begin to fall in love with me more than whatever it is you hunger and thirst for. Pray. And you know what God's faithful to do? Make that reality. He's actually faithful to show you. Ah, I can show you that pornography is a false vine. It's a vine that shows no source. It's a vine that shows no life. I can actually show you that money, popularity, social status, it falls short. It's a bread that makes you go hungry again. It's a water that makes you thirsty again. It's a broken cistern that will not satisfy you. But let me show you. Let me make real to you where life comes from. Let me show you what you were made for. You were made for so much more than marriage. You were made for so much more than money. You were made for so much more than sex. You were made for so much more than your body image. You were made for so much more than money. You were made for so much more than, than, than popularity. You were made for so much more than anything that you would place your hope, your value, your identity in other than me. And you know what happens when we catch that, friends? When we receive it, I'll tell you what doesn't happen. We don't walk away sorrowful. We don't walk away depressed as if we are losing something. We, we, we're like the man who finds a treasure hidden in a field. And when he finds that treasure, he reburies it, goes and sells everything that he has. And he buys that field. Why? Because he found something better. We're like the merchant who finds a pearl of great price. He's like, you know what? Everything else doesn't matter. Let me sell it all because I found something genuinely better. He's not going, "Ah, I like everything that I have a little bit more over here, but this seems like a good idea. No, this is better. This is better. So you're sitting here tonight and you're going, my goodness, I would love it if that was true for me pastor I would love it if I could willpower my way into seeing Jesus is better than my addiction I would love it if I could willpower my way into seeing God is better than my body image I would love it if I could willpower my way into seeing God is better than my possession or my money But the truth is, those things taste good. And I just can't see Jesus as better no matter how hard I try. I got good news for you. You're not supposed to try. The good news is that Jesus awakens this 
in his people. It's not that you are blind and you need to try to see as a blind person. It's that Jesus gives you eyes to see. Think about John chapter three. Like we have this like beautiful verse of John three sixteen, right? Like for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but they will have eternal life. But the context of this moment is Jesus is talking with a Pharisee. He's talking with Nicodemus. And Jesus is, is looking at him. And he goes, look, you have to understand, my friend, unless you are born again, you can't see this truth. Look at this in John 3, 3. Oh, it's already up. Awesome, Joey. You're incredible. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God. No one has eyes to see this good news unless what? They're born again. And I love this moment because Nicodemus is like the rational, logical one. He goes, so we're supposed to like get back into our mother's womb and be reborn? He's like, how does this work? And Jesus goes, and you're the teacher of Israel and you can't see this. Because you gotta understand that which is born of the flesh is born of the flesh. That which is born of the spirit is born of the spirit. With man, this is impossible, but with God, what? You are not to willpower your way into seeing Jesus is better. Jesus will open your eyes and he'll show you good news. So this is what I wanna invite you into this evening. Scotty, you know what to do. Can I invite you to come forward, if you're willing, to get on your knees. Come forward and get on your knees. If you don't want to, that's okay. You can stay seated in your seat. And this is the prayer that I want to invite you into this evening. If you can, close your eyes. I just want to ask you, between you in the Lord, what is it in your life that is most valuable to you? What is it in your life that you can't give up? Either that you don't want to give up or, or that thing in your life that you want to give up but you just kind of keep returning to. And this is the prayer that I want you to begin to pray this evening. Not that, Lord, just help me kind of choose you even though I want that. Let's shift our prayer this evening. Maybe pray something like this, Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes. Open my eyes to see. Open my eyes to see that you are better. Open my eyes to see that you 
are better. Lord, I'm not going to try to grasp at eternal life. I want to receive eternal life. I want to receive eternal life. Open my eyes. Help me to experience what is true about me, that I am found and I am satisfied and I am renewed and I am innocent in you. Jesus is not interested in a, in a competing game with your affections. He wants all of you. And here's the promise I can make to you. <laughs> when we can receive that Jesus is better. We can echo Paul's words where he says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Nothing else that I have surpasses the great worth that I have found in the person of Jesus. In other words, you will not be sorrowful. You will be satisfied. You will be satisfied. And so as we enter into this, these couple moments of worship, that's what I want to invite you to do. Ask the Lord to open your eyes to see him as better. <laughs>